All right, guys. It's 6.30, so uh, you guys can wrap up. Hope you're able to uh, dive into those questions. There's some really great stuff in our, uh, in our, in our text this week. Um, first of all, good morning. It's an honor to, uh, to be able to, to share with you guys for a little bit. Um, let's uh, start with a quick word of prayer, and then, and then, we'll, then we'll dive in. <laughs> Father God, I thank you so much for uh, the word that you've given us, for uh, the blessing of the time we have to study together as men, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, and the chance to have fellowship with each other, uh, with brothers as we dig into your truth. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless this time, that you'd speak through me. Lord, I know I'm uh, just a knucklehead, but you are the powerful God, and you can say, whatever you'd like to say. So speak through me and bless this time and let us all uh, glean a little bit more from the power of your word. In Christ's name, amen. amen. All right, so thank you. Thank you, first of all, to Brian. I have to say uh, it's a great passage to be able to lead and, and to study. It has everything. It's got a book burning, it's got a cultural political riot, it's got fight scenes, it's got magic spells, it's got nudity. I mean, what, a, what, an amazing, uh, what an amazing passage. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. Um, it's like a scene from the nightly news, you know, that, we're, that we get to stuff. But there's, there's, a, there's a bunch here. Unfortunately, I, um, I, there, I had to trim, and I don't know that I trimmed everything, so y'all listen fast because there's a lot to cover. Um, so I'm going to start with, our, with reviewing our themes and then t- talk about some of the scenes that we see in, our, uh, in this scripture and then focus on some key spiritual truths that I think are really important for us. So looking at our themes, as we usually do, uh, there's a lot there. So the work of the Holy Spirit, I don't have the slides either. Uh, that's only, only, you have to be Brian level to get the, the cool slides. <laughs> but uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, I think we can definitely see the Spirit very active in this passage as he's filling the Ephesian believers. Um, there's miraculous healings involved. Uh, and then also you see the Spirit kind of guiding Paul as he goes uh, through, his, through his mission work. As we look at witnessing for Christ, absolutely there's a lot of kind of a constant theme throughout this scripture as both Paul and Apollos are uh, sharing the word as, uh, in the places where they, where they particularly in Ephesus is where this appears, but they're, they're constantly presenting the claims of Jesus, uh, both in, in Ephesus and in Corinth. The development of the church is one of our other themes. Uh, I think there's it's a key focus for this passage is there's kind of a, an opportunity for um, kind of looking at what's happened as the gospel has spread, as more people hear about it, uh, and then trying to ensure that there's kind of this standard of truth that, that we keep coming back to. Uh, what, what is the gospel in its, in, its, in its entirety? And again, syncretism, which is a fancy term for blending of um, what you know already with what Jesus says. So Jesus plus what you're comfortable with. So we kind of see that uh, playing out a little bit in Ephesus, and we talk about that. Uh, there's also kind of a second generation of preachers with Apollos coming in, uh, not, a, not a, one of the original apo- uh, apostles, but somebody who's kind of the next generation of preachers. And there's a really interesting story with uh, Priscilla, which we'll talk about a little bit, kind of the role of Priscilla's role in the ministry. So the theme of the history of salvation and the connection of the New Testament and the Old Testament, not as overt. I didn't see as much in this one, though it's clearly a key tenet. We're told several times that uh, both Apollos and Paul are... Um, uh, presenting Jesus as the Christ through scriptures. Uh, Sam did a fantastic job last week. If you guys weren't here, and did, just I encourage you to go back and listen to that because that was he, he really uh, hit on that in a great way last week. And then the final theme of evangelism of the nations, 
Um, you know, I think here you continue to see that the, the church is becoming less of Jews and Gentiles and more of a blended group of believers of, of both Jewish and Gentile um, backgrounds. But I think it's also interesting, too, um, Apollos is from Alexandria. So that's kind of another, that's in Egypt, so kind of in the northern part of Egypt. Um, that's an area that we hadn't heard from yet. So it seems that the, the gospel has spread to Alexandria. Uh, so another part of the, the, you know, that world that's being, um, that's seeing Christianity flourish. So that, those are our themes. Let's look a little bit at the scenes. Uh, uh, you know, Luke kind of starts here with, uh, with a, a bit of a travelogue. This kind of a, a quick um, overview of what happens to Paul. He, we left him last, uh, last time. He'd spent about 18 months in the city of Cor- uh, Col- Cor- Corinth. See <laughs> another C book uh, of, of Corinth, and it begins this way. He's traveling. He and Priscilla and Aquila go from Corinth to Ephesus. It's the first time Paul, I think, has been to Ephesus, so he kind of drops in there, spends a little bit of times, but he seems in a hurry to get to Judea. We think the commentators think perhaps he wanted to get to Jerusalem for Passover. So Paul just kind of drops into Ephesus. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila, and then he catches a boat to to Judea. He goes up to see the church in Jerusalem, and then he swings back out to Antioch. So it's like this big path that he does, uh, and it's probably a lot of traveling, but Luke doesn't cover a lot of the details there. So meanwhile, while Paul's doing this trip down to Judea, this new guy, Apollos, appears on the scene, and he appears there in Ephesus. Apollos is an interesting character. He's a Jew, as I mentioned. He is a Jew. He's from Alexandria. He likely um, was very well educated. Alexandria had a university. It was kind of a very uh, famous city for, for being, um, you know, lots of learning. There's a talk about the huge library that you know, was very famous in history. Um, but he shows up, he's, got, he's eloquent, he's very well spoken, he's knowledgeable. It says he's knowledgeable in scriptures. Uh, but he has, some of his theology has some holes in it, which we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that. But there's a, kind of this beautiful picture of Priscilla and Aquila, which we talked about, pulling him aside and talking to him about uh, kind of helping him understand a little bit more of, of theology that perhaps he, he had these gaps in his theology. Um, I think it's especially, especially a beautiful picture because Apollos is, has this teachable moment. Uh, the idea of this guy who's likely university trained, being pulled aside and taught by these two, Priscilla and Aquila, what, what, is, what is their job? You might know? They're tent makers, right? They're leather workers. So kind of this, this young, hotshot college guy being pulled aside and taught by these, this older couple who are tent makers. Uh, it's kind of a really beautiful picture there. Um, so the first point I had in there uh, with, with blanks was to, we should, so it's a lesson for us that we should be gentle with young believers and be teachable yourself. So be gentle with young believers and be teachable yourself. It's a good conversation, I hope, at your tables today about that concept of how, how teachable are you and how much are you teaching. So we'll come back around and look at Apollos and some of the gaps that he studies, but uh, I wanted to take a quick note of Priscilla here because I think, I think it's interesting. And in in all the commentators I looked at, everyone noted that the way that, that, that when they're presented in Scripture, it's Priscilla and Aquila. It's not Aquila and Priscilla. It's always Priscilla first. Uh, as mentioned, and you know, looking at the way that apparently that's the way structured, way that's structured in the Greek, uh, it's it, it's unmistakable that Priscilla is the primary agent in this story. It's Priscilla who is pulling aside, or Priscilla and Aquila together, but she's kind of the primary person there. 
Um, Luke mentions them again in Acts, and Paul himself mentions them. And in every case, it's Priscilla and Aquila uh, in that order. One person said that it's possible that Priscilla was like a higher social status. So like maybe she was from a, you know, a more wealthy family. Um, but most agreed that it was Priscilla who took the spiritual, who took the lead in this ministry of talking to, uh, talking to Apollos. It wasn't Aquila. Perhaps it was because she was more spiritually mature. Perhaps it was because she was a better teacher, you know, kind of had the more the gift of teaching than, than Aquila did. Uh, perhaps it was just a personality thing. Maybe Aquila was kind of just a quiet guy who, you know, worked with his hands and, you know, kind of that quiet fella who was not a real talkative guy. But uh, it's very interesting. So remember that in Corinth, uh, they li- Paul lived and worked with Priscilla and Aquila. So they had, they had soaked up Priscilla, uh, you know, Paul's teaching for 18 months at least. Um, spending lots of time with it. So it's obvious that, that Priscilla had really understood much of what Paul was teaching so that they recognize when, Aquila, when Apollos comes in that, you know, he's got these gaps we need to address. Um, so she's well-equipped to help this guy, you know, even though he's university trained, has some deep knowledge of scriptures. There's stuff that she recognizes that he needs to learn. Um, so I think it's just a powerful reminder for us, particularly for us today, that... Um, you know, God has ordained our sisters and our wives and our, you know, to, as with great wisdom and power, uh, very often more than us. I don't know, you may know that in your own life with your own uh, spouses that, um, you know, we, we, we should not overlook the role of women to encourage and teach and to, um, I'm not going to get off into, I mean, there, there's a whole rabbit trail we could go down there, but don't overlook the value of God speaking to you through um, the women of this church, the women in your family, the, you know, the women in your own household. And, and you know, what a, what a cool result. I mean, if you look at what Apollos did, he came in with this, with this knowledge, some deep scriptural knowledge. Um, but after this encounter with, uh, uh, with Priscilla and Aquila, he, he goes off and continues to preach and teach. He's mentioned throughout the other letters from, uh, from Paul as a co-laborer with Paul. He's a church planner. He really has an impact. We don't, um, uh, we don't, we don't get a lot of, uh, specific details, but he really makes an impact in, for the gospel, you know, spreading the gospel in that area. I have always subscribed to the idea that Apollos might be the author of Hebrews. I don't know if anybody else has ever heard that, but I've always, you know, since we don't really know who wrote Hebrews, it's not a sign. I've always thought that might be an interesting idea because Apollos is this kind of, Hebrews is kind of this eloquent book with lots of really, it's very, it's written by a Jew. I've always thought that would be really cool to, to, to consider, but that's, that's, just, that's a freebie. I don't know why. Uh, uh, I, I have, no, I have no, um, no evidence for that. So Apollos exis, exits from Ephesus. He leaves out of Ephesus, exits from Ephesus to go to Corinth. Paul comes in um, through a different path and gets there. And this is going to be a key time. So the, much of this book happens in Ephesus. Paul spends two years there. Uh, and he really, uh, as we hear you know, in, other, in the letters, there's lots that happens in, in, in the area of Ephesus. So it's a really key area. Paul has these three, uh, Luke has these three stories that he tells about to kind of give us a picture of the spiritual state of Ephesus. Paul meets this first group of Ephesian believers or uh, of disciples. And, um, you know, they, they have this issue where Paul meets them. And um, well, it's kind of interesting, you know, it's, the baptism of John is mentioned a couple of times, which we'll talk about. But it seems clear that John the Baptist has kind of his people have spread his message after his death. So we'll come back around and talk about that. But Paul, Paul meets these guys, talks with them about their beliefs and their salvation, realizes or you know, shares with them the truth about Jesus a little bit more than they, they didn't know. 
uh, and the Holy Spirit. And like other people, they're baptized. They, they come to faith in Jesus and are baptized. So we'll come back around to that. But uh, Luke then tells us this story of um, God working miracles through Paul uh, by, by you know, handkerchiefs and aprons that he wore being taken to, to, to heal people. Uh, a real fascinating story there. And, but, but through that and this work, the work of Paul as he's living and teaching there in Ephesus, the word, the word of the power, news of the power of Jesus really begins to spread. Uh, this funny story of the seven Jewish exorcists who try to invoke the name of Jesus as part of their incantations. And like, you know, previously we used Solomon, but let's use this Jesus guy because he seems to be, you know, pretty powerful. And of course, that doesn't go well for them. Um, you know, as, as the demon taunts them and then, you know, beats the pants off of them, you know, quite, quite literally. So, um, but Luke tells us this story. It's kind of feels like a rip from the headline story, you know, like, you know, newsflash, seven guys have their, you know, run naked away from a, you know, from a demon possessed. But, but, but Luke tells us this story to, to really underscore the fact that Jesus's name is really becoming famous. Uh, you know, the idea and the, and the belief about Jesus is becoming famous. Um, and it also underscores this, what historians and ar uh, archaeologists show and tell um, that, that this area of Ephesus was really rife with magic. I mean, it really was a, a big thing. Uh, there were, there, they used these ma magical incantations, these scrolls, um, there were these pagan beliefs, and we can see that it really was very common in the area of Ephesus. And that's where this church is growing. So the, these Ephesian believers, I talked briefly about a, a syncretism, which you don't have a ton of time to get in there, but the Ephesian believers were learning about Jesus, but they were also mixing in this, you know, the, what, they, what they saw in their culture, this, this use of magic and magical spells. And, um, and they were really getting convicted by, uh, you know, that they had blended together these pagan beliefs in Jesus. And, and uh, you know, this, this whole story of the the seven sons of Sceva getting beaten really underscored to them that, um, you know, Jesus is the superior power, that whatever, they, whatever the culture is teaching them uh, is, is less than, than what Jesus, uh, than, than the power of Jesus in his name. So they bring their magic scrolls together. I don't know, I don't know that we have, we, we might have a picture of kind of a big, burn, a big bonfire. I don't know if you guys grew up in a time when you had people burning their books and burning their CDs or burning their cassettes if you're older, your records if you're older like me, but I uh, don't know that it was necessarily that, that same kind of a thing, but it was, it did seem to be that they were bringing things together and burning them to get rid of them, trying to, to kind of clarify for themselves. Um, so, you know, just briefly, uh, is scripture telling us that we should be burning books and that we should be burning our, you know, burning your Leonard Skinner albums or, uh, you know, um, I don't, I don't think that's what Scripture is trying to tell us is that we should be that we should that shouldn't be our takeaway. Instead, we should really be looking at uh, kind of understanding the, the, what these believers were doing. That they were um, they were getting their hearts right before God. Right? They were they were realizing the the amazing power in the in the name of Jesus, and were um, starting to recognize that they were uh, that they, you know Jesus plus something else is not ever going to be the right um, you know. The right equation. We we need these to be Jesus and Jesus alone. So I'd say, get your heart right and let the Spirit weed through your bookshelf if if he needs to. Our second point there. So be careful of a blended gospel. And don't mess around with idols. Be careful of a blended gospel, and don't mess around with idols. Man, that time time is flying. Y'all aren't listening fast enough. Uh, so. Um, 
So there's this other story, which we, I wish we had more time to, to cover. But you know, Luke relates this story that, um, again, as, as the word is getting, as, as, as the, the Christians are starting to differentiate themselves and their practices, um, it's really starting to impact the culture. We have this fascinating story of uh, you know, how, how the, the way of Jesus growing has impacted the wallets of some very wealthy and very powerful people uh, in, in Ephesus. And they whip the crowd into this frenzy of patriotic and religious and cultural fervor, you know, this kind of uh, an almost riot that happens. And it's really only by the intervention of the city officials that, that the riot you know, and violence is avoided. But it's fascinating. I hope you guys had a chance to talk about it at your table. The, uh, you know, what, what we learn about Paul from the, the Asiarchs, basically the officials um, and the town clerk, is that Paul was not a rabble rouser. You know, it's very interesting to me that living in this incredibly pagan culture, Paul was able to walk that balance. He was not a, he was not a political rabble rouser. He wasn't, you know, picketing at the Temple of Artemis, which, by the way, was a pretty cool place or a pretty famous place. Um, but he lived in a ta- and he lived and taught in a way that they were able to say, he's not really breaking our law. He's not blaspheming our goddess. Obviously, Paul is teaching that silver images are not, you know, it's a poor excuse for a god compared to the living Jesus. Um, but he's able to walk that line. Paul, but that doesn't mean Paul's not watering down the gospel and he's not compromising. He's able to conduct his ministry in the same way Jesus was. Jesus was blameless. Um, the religious leaders didn't like Jesus, but, but the, he, he was blameless in the way that he lived. Um, and, you know, Paul teaches, we don't have time to look at it, but Paul teaches this in Romans, you know, to, to respect the state, right? To live in a way that honors the state and don't... Um, you know, respect the government authority that God's given us and to focus on living in peace with others, which I think is a real interesting balancing act. But, um, you know, Paul was able to teach about the kingdom of God and people were changed and healed from the inside out. And I think that's to me, and we were talking a little bit, I think that's to me is Paul focused on our hearts and the hearts of the people around him. It doesn't mean he didn't disagree with the culture, but he was not a cultural warrior fighting against that. He was focusing on changing people from the inside out. And as people were changed from the inside out, it impacted the world around him. So your final thing there, be respectful of the state, but be sanctified. So be respectful of the state, but be sanctified. Okay, so I've got about 10 minutes. I think this will work out okay. I want to come back and, and kind of connect, come back to a thread that, that was connected earlier on. Um, through a couple of the stories. So Paul's establishing himself here in Ephesus, and uh, it's going to be, again, a key place for him. And then there's this focus in a couple of places in the stories we have on baptism. So what's that all about? Let's talk a little bit about what that means. Um, it, it, the baptism is the thing that comes up both with Apollos and the Ephesus 12, you know, the, the 12 folks that he meets there. Um, so what's the real question? What's really going on there? Is it really about, you know, technicalities about you know, how they were dunked, you know, which way did you hold them, you know, what, you know, how deep did you, you know, we, we're, it's, it's a little unclear because it's, it's just briefly mentioned by Luke about baptism. Luke tells us that Apollos was competent in the scriptures and instructed in the way of Jesus. He knew his stuff, you know, he, he knew some theology, but he only knew about the baptism of John. And what that means is, um, I think, less about the technique of John for baptizing, more about the message of John, right? So what was, what was John's message? What was John the Baptist? What was his message? What was his call to faith, right? Um, exactly. Luke tells us in, um, in Luke 3, which we, which we studied you know, two years ago and when we started Luke, um, 
You know, he baptized people for the repentance of sins, for repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's what, that was what John's basic message was, you know, repent, be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. So that's, it seems that's what Apollos knew. He knew that, he knew that, he knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the promised one. He knew he was the Messiah. But kind of from Apollos' teaching, we can take perhaps that the crux of his preaching was really about repenting from sin and forgiveness. Um, good stuff, but perhaps he's, you know, he's, he's missing something there. The, the 12 people, the, 12, uh, the Ephesus 12, these guys uh, you know, that, that Paul meets, they were, it says they were disciples, but it seems like perhaps they, had, uh, they, they knew even less than Apollos did. They, were, um, they knew about John the Baptist because it says they were baptized with the baptism of John. They knew that John called people to repent and be baptized, but they had this very rudimentary understanding of the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting. It doesn't necessarily say that they're Jewish. You kind of imply that they're Jewish. But, and God's Spirit is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. So it would seem odd that they say um, their answer is, it kind of reads like, well, we've never heard of this Holy Spirit. I mean, what are you talking about? It may have been that. It may have been that they were unaware completely of the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit in, from the Old Testament. It may be that they knew that God's Spirit existed but didn't really know exactly what his role was uh, or how it was connected to the ministry of Jesus. So when Paul meets him, it reads a little bit like Paul kind of you know, says, Hi, how are you? Were you baptized with the Holy Spirit? I, I don't think that's actually what happened. I think probably more likely Paul met these guys. Uh, Luke's kind of brief in this description of how things happened. He probably got to talking to them about their faith and in the context asks them you know, about the Holy Spirit. And Paul seems astonished by the fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, by their answer. But it seems like probably Paul... Um, you know, then, then treats them as he does other people, other people he meets as, as he's doing his ministry. He, uh, other people he meets who may have heard about Jesus but don't really know much about him. And Paul spends time explaining them the, the gospel to them, encourages them to be baptized in the name and power of Jesus, and they do. And like we've seen in other places, you know, they get, they get baptized, um, they get prayed over, and then they have this... Uh, uh, filling and manifestation of power and signs and speaking of tongues and prophecy. Uh, I do want to briefly say, I know some people interpret this story uh, to argue for uh, you know, a requirement to have a second baptism or a baptism in the Spirit um, to be filled with the Spirit. But it seems clear to me that for these guys, um, whatever baptism they had was not really much different than if, you know, if it was a disciple of John the Baptist who came and baptized them. But whatever baptism they had wasn't really much different than what would have happened had John baptized them themselves in the Jordan. He kind of essentially saying, come, come and repent of sin for forgiveness and, you know, be dunked and, and you know, try to you know, repent from your sin. But it wasn't, it, it was for repentance of sin and perhaps looking forward to Jesus, the one who was to come. But it wasn't a baptism into the faith in Jesus. It wasn't a baptism that was believing in Jesus, you know, in the way that the gospel describes. It was really, you know, they, they, they got dunked to repent of their sin, but Paul treats them as though they're, as they're lost. And if they've, you know, they, they come to faith in him after this, as Paul talks to them, much in the same way uh, that other believers do in Acts. So to me, it's, it's not a, another baptism or a second baptism that's required. It's basically they, they got wet the first time and now they're going to be, um, going to be, they're saved. So what does this mean for us? I think what's key here um, is that Apollo, if Apollos and the Ephesians knew about Jesus, that he was God's Messiah, that he did a lot of miracles, 
he was crucified and rose again, you know, which, which is amazing. It's an amazing thing for us to know. Um, and, you know, you can tell it, it obviously changed these people's lives. They were, they were considered disciples. Um, you know, perhaps, perhaps that could be you. Um, you know, you may know, you may know a lot about you, a little bit about Jesus or a lot about Jesus. Hopefully you're here. So you kind of bonus points for that. Uh, maybe you give mental assent to the idea of Jesus, that he was a real person who lived a long time ago, did a lot of cool miracles, died on Good Friday, rose again on Easter. You kind of know all the facts about him, right? Um, and the fact that you're here probably indicates that you, you believe enough to get up and, and on early on a, on a Wednesday morning and come. But there, there's an interesting, so what, what's, this big, what's the big deal about baptism here that, that, that we're trying to, to, to draw a line on? It's a huge clue, I think, in the way, you know, what we do when we baptize people here at Emmaus. Some of you guys may have had the privilege of baptizing your kids. Uh, what, what is it we say? You know, we say you're, baptized, you're, you're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. I think that's the way I always learned it. That's, that's the old Baptist way. I don't know if you say it exactly the same way, but... Um, you know, that's not a magic formula. We say that as we're baptizing, but that's not a magic formula that makes it, makes it happen and makes it work. But it's a real statement of an amazing truth for us um, that Apollos and these 12 men obviously didn't understand. They may have been wet, but they didn't understand about the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as, as, as John proclaimed him, but that's not all he was, right? Um, Jesus' death and resurrection was more than just paying for the penalty of our sins. It made a way for us to die to our sin, to be buried with Christ in, our, in his baptism and raised to have a new life. And that's what, when you, when you believe in Jesus and when you trust in him and when you surrender your life to him, you're the one who dies, right? It's, um, we're, we're low on time. Um, we read the, the, the verses in Romans, which just real quickly I'll, 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 I'll touch on again. Uh, Romans 6.3 says, how can, we, uh, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, we were baptized with Jesus um, and, and, and in, with his death, and we'll be, you know, we will be raised again. The, the being raised to new life is not just being raised again, uh, you know, for, to go to heaven, it's really about having a new life here today. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have, been died, we have died and been set free from the power of sin. Paul says um, to these same Ephesians in the letter to, to Ephesus that we can put off the old self and put on the new self and that's created in his likeness. So it's an opportunity for us. What, what Paul explains and, and what uh, Apollos and, uh, and uh, what Priscilla and Aquila explain is that Salvation is more than just getting, you know, getting a ticket to heaven. It's about a new life that you can have here today. Um, you know, it, I, I don't know where you are today. Maybe, maybe you learned about Jesus. Maybe you got dunked, you know, when you, when you were young. Uh, maybe you got wet. Uh, maybe even, you know, by somebody that you, you may have gotten, you know, baptized by somebody who's important to you in, in the church where you grew up. But if you're still trying to be good enough to get to heaven, then that, that's not salvation, right? That's, that, that's not going to be good enough. So it's not enough just to have mental assent to the facts about Jesus. You must understand that, you know, the truth of the gospel is that our goodness is never going to be enough. We need uh, Jesus, to, you know, died for us to pay for our sins and to give us a new life that we have now today. You may be, um, you know, you may be stuck on a treadmill of repentance and self-effort. You know, it may be that you're... Um, 
you know, struggling with sin and trying to struggle with sin, repent, try to be better, struggle with sin, try to repent, try to be better. This kind of cycle of sin that we can get stuck in. Uh, That sometimes can be because we don't really understand the fact that we've been given a new life in Christ, that we have an opportunity to, um, you know, to, to, uh, to have a, a new source of life. I'd encourage you if, you, if you feel like perhaps maybe you're stuck in that cycle, you know, do what Apollos did. Find somebody who can encourage you, somebody who can help you break down the scriptures a little bit more. Some of these, these topics are, um, you know, it, it, sometimes it, we need somebody else to help guide us through. Um, either way, though, you know, it's important for us to hear that from, from this that, that the, the whole gospel is that Jesus, you know, Jesus did die for us for our sins and to let us go to heaven, but he really died for us to have a new, uh, new life today, uh, a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's what uh, you know, we have, uh, to give us that new life and a new heart to live from. It doesn't mean we never sin, but it means that we are different than what we were. That was my story. I wish I had time to, to go into that and talk about it a little bit more, but you know, being stuck in that struggle of sin, and it wasn't really until I understood that I have a new life, a new heart, um, that God was able to help me get power over that. So the Holy Spirit is, is the, the difference maker um, and the, the opportunity you have to, to live differently for Jesus and to make a difference in the world you have today. So let me pray real quick and then we'll be done. Lord God, I thank you for the blessings of this scripture. Thank you for uh, your life, the new life that you've given to us, and Lord, that it is a, a transformation that we can have. Uh, from within, the new heart that you give us. You take out our old hearts and you give us a new heart within. Pray for us as we go through our days and the rest of this week, Lord, that you'd make that real to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.